Hello and welcome to Boil Down. I'm your host, Greg Aspley, Orla Director of Government Affairs. Joining me today from the Orla team is Lori Little, Director of Communications. Hi, Lori. Hey, Greg. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm just getting out. I'm enjoying some of the sunshine. You know, it's uh, it's baseball season, so we got Little League and uh, it's time to get out and maybe do a little hiking and see a little bit more of this state. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. So we just had the opportunity last weekend to get out in the sun and we happened to be over in sort of, I guess, central eastern Oregon. I'm not sure what you call it, but uh, hit the Painted Hills. That was first time experience for me and that was really cool. Uh, it's a beautiful area. Well, uh, for those of our listeners who are interested, if they want to get out and visit the state, you know, there's good news because we have got the Orla Pack online auction coming up June 16th through the 24th. It's bids for a better industry. And if you go to OregonRLA.org, it'll link you to the auction when it's open. I know that uh, we've got trips to places like Bandon Dunes and uh, out to central and eastern Oregon, where you just were for some nice getaways, as well as the coast. Uh, but I know we still need some auction items as well, Lori. Yeah, we do. And uh, certainly start thinking about uh, what you could donate. Um, just make sure you contact us. You can send your information or contact to Jennifer Starr at J Star. That's J-S-T-A-R-R at OregonRLA.org. Lori, I know we're looking for all kinds of stuff. Folks can get really creative. Uh, if there's you know, some sort of an adventure that they have that they could offer or artwork, uh, put together a basket. If you've got a, a restaurant and can host a dinner for large groups as a donation, uh, whatever you've got, we would love to take it. We're going to do a lot of different things this year with this online auction. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think folks are going to have an opportunity to bid on some really great things. It's also a great chance to maybe get a unique gift for dads for Father's Day or graduates that are coming up. And um, so it's going to be open for, uh, like I said, a couple of uh, weeks, June 16th through the 24th. So I guess eight days. Um, and again, OregonRLA.org. We'll link you to the auction once we have it open. Yeah, that's the cool thing about having this event online is that you can share the link, you know, with family and friends and whoever, because um, there's just going to be something there for, for everyone. Yeah. So for out of town guests that maybe want to come and uh, have a stay here in Oregon, visit some of this beautiful state. There'll be packages for that. I'm sure we'll have Oregon products that people will be able to purchase as well. And probably some pretty unique things. Uh, I know we're still compiling that list of auction items, but I'm really looking forward to it. And we know it's difficult. Uh, it's a tough year to ask for folks to donate, but we still need to do the advocacy work to pull us out of this. And we sure could use your support. And speaking of advocacy work today, we are talking about the Oregon legislative session and bills relating to the hospitality industry with Bill Perry, Orla Lobbyist, Balance Point Strategies. But first, we want to make sure you're getting the most out of your membership. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit you may or may not be aware of. Did you know members who qualify get 21% off their workers' comp premiums with SAFE? This represents the largest discount available for Oregon's hotels and restaurants in the program, and there is no minimum annual premium. Ask your agent for an Orla group quote today to see if you qualify for these massive savings. Many folks have already renewed for 2021, but 
especially hotels, many of them are renewing this month. So take a look at your renewal date and see if you qualify for these huge savings. You can learn more at OregonRLA.org slash SAIF. And if you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of the many exclusive cost-saving benefits. And now I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Bill Perry, contract lobbyist for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association and owner of Balance Point Strategies. Welcome, Bill. Hey, welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me. You bet. So in a year like no other, um, it stands to reason that we would have a legislative session like no other. Tell me a little bit about what it's been like to not be in the building for the 2021 legislative session and what some of the challenges you've seen? Uh, well, I, uh, obviously it's like anything else, a lot of uh, your businesses are built on relationships. And I would say that, you know, even though you still have relationships, a lot of the work uh, in the legislature gets done in the hallways, as weird as that sounds. So a lot of times you can catch a legislator leaving committee uh, going back to their office and you can catch them for two minutes in the hallway and get a lot of information. And once you uh, kind of establish the patterns and getting in and out of committee, that's where a lot of the more what I would call experienced lobbyists get get the work done. Now, since everything's kind of Zoom and in other ways, it's like you can't have those kind of short, casual conversations. So getting information and trying to get to legislators in a uh, a quick fashion is just, it's almost impossible. Uh, and I would say the other thing that, you know, very rarely during session, do you text or call a legislator? But as of right now, their personal devices, if they're in a committee meeting for, for about an hour or so, they, their text messages, they'll get 20 or 30, their voicemail box fills up, and then they don't have an ability to basically check all their voicemails because they're going right into another Zoom. So the communication aspect of the uh, business is, is dramatically different. And a lot of people just are, are really struggling with what is actually going on, both legislators, you know, lobbyists and citizens, because it's, it's hard to get uh, information in, in this kind of new system. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the, the texts and the voicemails because you expressed concern before the session even started that people were gonna be blowing up their phones with the texts, the voicemails, because they didn't have the in-person. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened. Oh yeah, it's, uh, you know, and that's the hardest part is that, you know, uh, if you're third or fourth down the list on the text, they, they may not get to you. And, you know, the, obviously their families are, are struggling too because their kids or their spouses are trying to reach out to them. Um, and, you know, before they were the only ones that kind of texted them. Now they get kind of lost in the, the massive texts that they're getting. So it's, it's creating, you know, work problems, uh, family problems and, and other things, but hopefully we won't have to go through this type of a session again. So. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had some things though, that have been consistent, I would say with the last couple of sessions, including uh, a one day walkout uh, by the Senate Republicans and a slowing down of business, if you will, uh, the house Republicans, required all the bills to be read in full, which slowed things down, but they recently reached an agreement to not do that anymore for parity on the redistricting committee. How do you feel about some of those, I guess, tactics, if you will? 
Well, it's uh, those tactics are, you know, it, it is one of the things that, you know, they always say the rules are your best friend or your worst enemy, depending on which side you're sitting on. And, you know, it, it really is, uh, I hate to say, a lot of this stuff is all about respect. And so generally we have not had uh, problems in the past necessarily if, if people can do things in a, in a respectful manner. And I'm not saying that, you know, the people that walk out or don't walk out or are getting walked out on are necessarily more or less respectful than the other side. But, you know, it's, if you go back to the, you know, uh, to the, um, uh, what's the environmental law that they walked out on last time, was, you know, a bunch of people said, well, they shouldn't have walked out. Well, one of the reasons they walked out is because the majority party put a emergency clause on a bill, which means it can't get referred. So the negotiations became hugely skewed. And so both sides did something, in my opinion, that is kind of disrespectful. And then they got mad at the other side for doing it. So the original walkout um, that the Republicans did, according to them, was they had an agreement on the bill. Uh, when the bill came out, it didn't reach the agreement. So they kind of said, well, you disrespect, disrespected me, so I'm going to leave the building to disrespect you. And so you're always going to kind of have that uh, give and take. And, and uh, you know, it's this session is no different. I do think that, you know, the walkouts are not, it's not going to be what I would call a substantial walkout like they were in the past, just because these are just kind of shots across the bow for lack of a better term. Um, and so, you know, you'll see them from time to time. So despite all that, we've still managed to have some success um, and it's still early. We're only about halfway through the session. But um, I know that every year, every session, uh, we always contend with bills that threaten the state transient lodging tax, the TLT. Um, people are always looking for ways to dip their hands in that pocket, and pull some money out to do for pet projects. But by and large, this session, I would say we've had some success in making sure that the focus is really on those issues that uh, people care about right now, the COVID-19, um, police accountability, housing, some of those key issues that have gone through. We, we really haven't seen much in terms of the TLT, what what bills have you seen though that we should be aware of? Well, I think anything, especially in this state, uh, there's been some labor bills. Uh, obviously, they had a bill to increase the minimum wage to seventeen dollars, and but the the labor issues really are the ones that are always kind of most fearful. Is obviously we know the predictive scheduling that has happened in the past, and and paid family leave, and all these different things in the past. But you know like you said with the TLT is I do think the legislators understand now when you look at, you know, room nights are down uh, and all these different things are, are down that the economy needs to get built back. And probably our industry is, as our members much know, needs to be built back more than others because obviously the mandatory closures and everything else. So I, I think that, this is probably is from an industry standpoint is going to be one of the least damaging for uh, lack of a better term than we've had in a while, because I think they, they realize we need the TLT to make sure that we can advertise and get people back. We need to make sure that the cost of labor does not go up uh, 
any more than it already is from past some of the past laws so we can start to build that industry back so i'm not saying we're out of the woods yet but it this is probably going to be uh you know a better session uh, better is probably not the right word but a better session than we've had in the past just because i do think they feel that they need to rebuild now it doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles from an economic standpoint but i don't think there's going to be too many additional legislative costs for lack of a better term moving forward in the short term yeah certainly in any of the testimony that i've offered uh, where it's appropriate i've talked about the timeline for recovery for the hospitality industry and in particular on the lodging side it sounds like the estimates are that we won't really be recovered until 2023 at this point and of course uh, we have some particular challenges in the portland area with some of the rioting that's going on there, the vandalism. And, and so we've got some brand management and reputation recovery work that needs to happen. But um, I think you're, you're right. Uh, we, more than any other industry, were hit particularly hard and it's going to take longer for us to recover. We're going to need a little more help. Um, there were a, a couple of bills, though, that uh, came up. And I think at this point, we can safely say they've died. One was to increase the state TLT from 1.5 to 1.8? Yeah, the um, it was uh, one of those, you know, things that it, doing it when, when the rate was at 1.8 and staying at 1.8, I think is a different discussion that was obviously going on before the economy uh, so-called kind of crashed between COVID fires and, and riots. And uh, like you said, and they and so I think it was a little bit more hesitant once the rate goes down to what I would say is, you know, raise taxes in a in a down economy. So, I, you know, it was just a totally different conversation, whether some members might support it or not support it. It, it is a different discussion raising a tax uh, when the economy is a down as opposed to keeping it the same when the economy uh, was up. So that's it's just a different discussion during this time frame. Well, let's switch gears real quick and talk about lottery. Um, lottery has actually done fairly well in this state in the last couple of weeks. Um, some of the stimulus checks that people have been getting supposedly have increased the sales. Uh, talk a little bit about what's happening with lottery and then some of the bills that relate to mobile gaming. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, we the state runs on a two-year budget. And so, when you look at the forecast for lottery over the two years, uh, it is still down a little bit um, because you had basically lottery machines turned off last April uh, and you had lottery machines turned off in December. Uh, you know, not exact, but so people uh, can remember. But when you look at it, um, lottery on average before the pandemic hit was about 22 million, video lottery was about 22 million a week. After the pandemic, they lowered the forecast to about 20 million a week. Um, but come probably about last, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, when you look at last September, they started to eclipse the year before numbers where they were doing about $23 million a week. Um, now, when you look at the stimulus checks being out, much like they did back uh, when Obama did the stimulus checks, uh, they actually have been averaging over 26 million a week. That usually lasts for about two weeks, but we're on the fourth week now where they've been over 26 million a week. And even like 
two weeks ago, it hit almost $28 million a week. Uh, so the fact that the stimulus checks are rolling out a little bit slower uh, means that, you know, it's, it probably could stick around for another week or two, uh, I would guess. But, you know, all this is going to play into, you know, the budget numbers uh, that they're going to build them the budget on, which is the May forecast, uh, are going to, between that and income taxes, are going to show a pretty significant increase. I would guess somewhere about another $800 million to a, a billion dollars, somewhere in that ballpark. And just as a reminder for our listeners, lottery is the second largest source of revenue for the state behind income taxes, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so it should be a healthy bottom line for those folks who are writing the, the state budget. Uh, now, there is a bill out there on mobile gaming. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Yeah, they're um, basically, I think legislators were not happy that the state went to mobile gaming, uh, you know, and so you, there's always been kind of a consternation. Uh, as of right now, most of you know, uh, go that mobile gaming uh, in the state, the sport, the scoreboard can bet on professional sports. Uh, and that's been in existence for about a year now. Um, there are a couple of things that the, uh, that the lottery basically is proposing or talking about. They want to expand it to college sports. They have had a discussion about doing a animated, uh, sports, um, but as they are moving into some of that stuff, it's obviously worrying about, you know, the impact on college athletics uh, and, you know, getting into non-sporting events or high-velocity games, which obviously high-velocity is what it is, is that making bets quicker and quicker and quicker, like a slot machine or a speed keno game or some of those things. Legislators are really worried about the, the addiction, addictive qualities of a high-velocity game. So there's a bill 3078, which uh, basically said that the, they, the mobile gaming couldn't expand past what it is today, meaning it would have to stay on professional sports. That bill did not meet the deadline. So if a bill was not out of its original policy committee by last Tuesday, uh, or Tuesday of last week, um, then uh, it is dead. So that bill did not move forward. But there's another bill, 3394, which basically looks at gaming as a whole. Uh, and so there's obviously the lottery mobile gaming. The Racing Commission actually has a mobile gaming app. Um, if we remember the casino down in Medford, uh, the discussion was around a bingo machine that really looks from a consumer standpoint like a slot machine. There's horse race machines that look like a slot machine. So technology is moving pretty fast these days. And so what 3394 does is it, it basically says maybe we need to step back and say as a state, what are all the different tech, you know, what are all the changes to gaming that is happening uh, from a uh, technology standpoint, and how does that impact the state government, the local economies, you know, good or bad or anything else. So they will basically set up some sort of a task force looking at this over the next kind of two years to see, you know, how all those different pieces are going to work together and impact potentially the state revenue or, or local economies. So 
that bill because it missed the deadline. There's an old saying we have in the building, rules committee doesn't have to follow the rules, which is that each chamber has a rules committee. So that bill will go to the rules committee, which means it doesn't abide by the earlier deadline we talked about. And there'll be that discussion. Now, chances of it passing, I don't know if it's really kind of too early to tell, uh, but the house, if they want that bill to move, probably needs to move it in the next couple of weeks or so. And that bill also has a component that would prohibit the lottery from having any new games started after the passage until I think it's January 2nd of 2023. Is that correct? Well, it's it basically, if I don't have the wording in front of me, it strongly recommends because remember the lottery is a separate constitutional agency and being able to manage the lottery uh, is, is basically, the, there is some legal question there. And so what they did was they kind of, you know, with the horse racing, with the lottery and everything else, there's obviously existing licenses that have been issued. And so, you know, what they're trying to say is, look, we don't want you to expand. Uh, and so what that message does, then it sends it to the governing bodies of the lottery, the racing commission, different things, and says, we understand what you're doing today. You know, take a very hard look if you do something different than you've already done, because you basically might get punished for it. It's not what it says exactly, but it sends a pretty strong message. Um, and so I don't have the language in front of me, but I think that's basically what it says is we strongly recommend you don't make any additional changes in, in, in the next two years. All right. Well said. Thanks, Bill. Uh, so with that, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with more Boil Down from the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Refresh with power and performance during Dell Technologies quarterly business sale. Boiler members can save up to 45% off on exceptional technology solutions, such as two-in-one laptops, great for contactless check-in, and many other solutions custom fit to your business needs. Take advantage of your exclusive member savings through May 3rd. Visit dell.com slash Orla to save today or call 855-900-5548 to speak with an advisor. Welcome back to Boiled Down. We are discussing the Oregon legislative session and bills relating to the hospitality industry with Bill Perry, Orla Lobbyist, and Balance Point Strategies. So Bill, uh, when we left, we were talking lottery, and now we're going to talk the third largest source of revenue for the state, alcohol. Uh, we've got a couple of bills out there, including Senate Bill 317, making cocktails to go permanent, and then we've got one on the Alcohol Task Force, House Bill 3377. Let's start with the to-go cocktails. What's happening with that? So uh, 317 is basically takes the existing law that they passed for the pandemic to allow people to sell cocktails to go if they're in a sealed container. Uh, so your dash, uh, DoorDash and those kind of things can deliver them or the individual can deliver uh, the individual restaurant can, or you can pick them up uh, when you go in to get your order and take them out. Um, so all 317 does is it makes that permanent. Uh, in the bill was also wine containers. Um, and so that, if it passes, should become seamless. Obviously, if it doesn't pass when the executive order is done, we'll have it for another 60 days, I believe. So 
nothing will happen in the short term, but the question is, you know, in the long term, do we get to continue to do this? It passed the Senate um, with, uh, I don't think any no votes, there might've been some people missing. Uh, and so it's in the house. They will uh, take it up probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so I'm hopeful uh, that it'll move forward, but uh, you know, there's always a chance with alcohol and everything else, you get the people that are not fans of alcohol wanting to stay still. So we can uh, keep people abreast of that, but it should move forward. And speaking of those fans who don't want to allow folks to have their to-go cocktails, uh, House Bill 3377 establishes an alcohol task force. And we've got a couple of issues with this task force in that it really is looking only at taxation and pricing as a way to help with addiction recovery funding and uh, some of the other issues around underage and binge drinking. So what can you tell us about the task force, Bill? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking it probably doesn't move forward. And those of you that have been following Orla for a while, obviously we've done uh, a lot to deal with uh, addiction, meaning we passed the bill that put 1% of lottery funds in the uh, problem gaming account. And we've done different things to try to help deal with uh, some of the addictive substances that the state has. What uh, I think that many people agree that there are probably different ways to improve um, the addiction uh, treatment side of things and some of the prevention uh, activities that happen. Now, this bill uh, I don't think, uh, I would say this is not really a task force is my editorial opinion. This is a lobby tactic. So when you look at it, it says, okay, the state should look at trying to curb binge drinking through price increases, should look at addiction treatment things through price increases. So it's a predetermined outcome that basically is just advocating for price increases. Um, and so there are different ones, uh, different groups that are obviously want to try to improve the addiction uh, treatment process. So it will be looking at some things in the interim. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like you don't predetermine the outcome of a task force before you set up an, a task force. So uh, it's uh, I think most legislators see that. And so I think it might get addressed during the interim. I just don't think this bill is going to be a vehicle for that. All right. Uh, so let's move to a bill that is specific to our industry, uh, which is House Bill 3361. It's the intellectual property protection for uh, restaurants uh, when dealing with third-party delivery platforms. Uh, Representative David Gomberg sponsored this one for us, and that passed out of the House and it looks like it's on the Senate president's desk. What, what do we think about that bill at this point? Yeah, so um, this is, you know, a shrewd negotiation by Greg Astley, you know, making the uh, delivery companies cower. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, this is uh, the whole, what I would, would call menu theft, or there's different, different things where people would basically post a menu that without the permission of the the restaurant and sometimes they're outdated menus and and then our obviously restaurants are the ones that are left with the disturbed customer because a product might be priced differently or not remain and so uh, we work with the delivery companies 
to basically make sure that that there is a, a, a an agreement with the restaurant before uh, they post anything on their website or delivery company. Um, obviously, I think you know once you get kind of the, the face of the issue of you know you there needs to be an agreement between the two. The legislator saw that as a valid uh, thing for the businesses to be uh, looking for, and so I don't see this as having any problems uh, once the Senate president refers it to committee, I would expect it to come out of committee fairly quickly and, and we'll, we'll be protecting the uh, menus and the, the restaurants from these companies. That's right. Brand reputation management. Very, very important. So, yeah. well, I appreciate the shout out, Bill. It's, it's a team <laughs> effort, as you know. So, uh, all right, let's talk about general kind of business and, and labor uh, bills that are out there. And I'll start with one that wasn't easy to begin with, and we went through 18 different versions of the scheduling bill before we became the first state in the country to have statewide scheduling. But Senate Bill 716 had to do with the scheduling law and childcare, and there was an amendment, uh, a small change to that, to make childcare one of the considerations when you're looking at scheduling. Uh, what can you tell us about that one? Yeah, so obviously, whenever you hire somebody, uh, what the existing law said was, you know, an employee should basically tell the employer all the different things that might impact their schedule before they uh, do their schedule. Um, so you might have some stuff where, like, say you're a, in the Army Reserves or different things. You're supposed to have that conversation between the employer and the employee so they can basically be aware of different things that might cause conflicts when it comes to scheduling. What 716 said in the beginning was that, okay, now all of a sudden, if something comes up with childcare, uh, I basically can opt out at the last minute, but the way the scheduling works is once I have to replace somebody, uh, then I'm penalized as the employer uh, because all of a sudden there was a drastic change in the schedule. So it, it really kind of, it benefited the employee, but punished the employer for, for this law. And so what they ended up doing was, was basically making a specific acknowledgement in the existing law that basically says, look, when you have that conversation under the beginning of the law about the different potential conflicts uh, that might come up with your schedule, child care can be one of those conflicts, which I think, you know, it, it's important. Uh, but it doesn't then establish this kind of thing that benefits the employee, but doesn't, that punishes the employer, but really kind of encourages that, that open communication so people are aware of the different issues on both sides. So I think the bill as it passed gave the childcare um, uh, advocates, for lack of a better term, the acknowledgement that they were looking for, but it didn't dramatically change the, the relationship between the employer and the employee. Uh, so one is, is kind of uh, put it more of a detriment than the other. So I think it worked out well. Uh, and so it shouldn't have any problems moving forward. And then another one in that same kind of realm would be House Bill 2474, the, the paid family leave. And maybe you can walk us through where that bill started and where it is now. Yeah. So um, those of you who are employees that understand uh, kind of scheduling and, and OFLA and everything else. So the scheduling was protecting a shift. OFLA obviously uh, protects basically the job if somebody, so like 
somebody has a baby or is taking care of a, uh, a sick family member, they can use OFLA, which means if they leave, their job is protected when they come back. Um, during the pandemic, uh, there was a bill or a rule that was passed by Boley that says, okay, if schools were closed and you have to stay home with your child, then during this executive order, there was job protection. So it's just deals with kind of the pandemic uh, emergency orders or uh, public health emergencies. Um, what 2474 originally did was it extended OFLA down. Right now, OFLA only applies to employers over 25. What, what 2474 did originally was it took it down to one employee, um, which was a drastic change in the law. Um, and obviously this had a, a lot of small businesses concerned. Um, and so they ended up removing that down to one employee they left it at 25 employees and they basically took the, so they, they, it only applied to what Boley had already passed. So realistically, this does not change the law, but instead of Boley having to pass an emergency rule every time like they did this time, in executive orders and public health emergencies, if schools are closed, then that can become protected leave under OFLA. Now, if it's not a public health emergency and it's not uh, uh, an emergency order, then it doesn't apply, uh, which is what I think a lot of employers were worried about. So it pretty much just puts in statute the existing rule we're under today. Great, all right. Great explanation, thanks for that. Um, so let's talk about recycling and environmental protection. We've got Senate Bill uh, 582 that we did testify against. Um, and why don't you give us a little overview of what that bill is and where it stands right now? Yeah, so basically the intent of what they're trying to get at, meaning the advocates of, of, uh, of this recycling bill is the, because people always are, you know, you got your recycling garbage can, or most people do. If you don't put the right thing in, uh, the recycling, it can gum up the processes and you, you got all these different things. So they're, they're trying to develop a, a process that basically makes it easier, easier, it makes it uh, less stress on the system when it comes to recycling. So it sets up these, these uh, groups to look at, you know, how do you advertise? How do you do these different things to basically, so people know that, you know, like you're not supposed to put toilet paper rolls in your uh, recycling, which I didn't know at the time. So, but it's trying to, to get people to understand how the system works a little bit better. And so they do that through a tax on basically the substance that things are made of. So if it's plastic, instead of taxing the plastic product, they will tax the past plastic that the product is made of. Uh, it's so, you know, that was kind of the original thing, but their definition of a producer in the original bill, um, if you had a product specifically made, so let's say, you know, a coffee cup, for lack of a better term, if you had a specific cup that was made for you, so Greg Astley's coffee stand, um, if, if it was made for that, he was then a producer and he had to pay this tax where 
Bill Perry's coffee can stand. I just basically bought a cup from Cisco or FSA. Cisco or FSA would have to make sure that the tax was collected. So it mm. created kind of this weird little system. And so we did get an amendment that said the first place it's sold in the state uh, is the one that pays the tax. So even though Greg might get his coffee cups specially made, he's still buying it from Cisco FSA or whoever. Uh, they're just having them specially made. So I know this is getting kind of complicated, but um, the problem is, is that it was said the first place it was sold in the state. And so that raises a problem of like, if you go down to Brookings, a lot of their products come out of Crescent City. You go to Hermiston, their products are coming out of Spokane. You go to Ontario, their products are coming out of Boise. So where they were protecting specialty made products in the valley or along I-5, they were then taxing almost all products that were coming in uh, outside the state. So it's it, it has created kind of this winners and losers uh, amendment. Um, we talked earlier in the last segment about how, you know, the policy committee's bill had, bills had to be out of committees by last Tuesday. They realized there was a problem. They didn't have the time to fix it. So they basically sent it down to ways and means to keep the bill alive, as we call it. Um, so they did try to help us in the bill so that we weren't uh, considered producers. I'm not sure they exactly did it. And so then it now it comes down to a question of can we fix it or does they just kind of punt and move on with it later? Um, but I do think they do want to help us from the producer standpoint. Uh, it's just uh, we still need amendments uh, for the bill. So, All right. Well, Bill, what haven't we talked about? Is there anything on your list of, of bills or legislation that's being proposed that we haven't touched on? Well, there were so many of them. I mean, obviously there's, you've got workers comp uh, presumption so that basically if somebody at work gets um, tested positive for COVID, they just, it's automatic that they got it at work and then it would affect your workers comp insurance. Um, those seem to be falling by the wayside. I think that will uh, hopefully not pass. Obviously, uh, Jason did a lot of work, and, and I know you, you and I, Greg, have both helped, but on the whole kind of unemployment tax fix, uh, obviously, with all the unemployment, I think everybody understands the rates need to be going up. Um, so if you just look at the rates across the board, what we need to make sure that the fund is stable at a minimum, rates may have to go up 30 to 40 percent, but because they closed restaurants, some of our members, as you well know, we were getting over a hundred percent increase in unemployment. So what 3389 does is that basically, uh, in an essence, as I would term it, says that we're not going to count those experience rating increases. So everybody kind of gets treated the same. Uh, you could probably add a lot more to it, just because I know you and Jason put in a lot of work. But obviously, that's going to be very beneficial uh, to our members. But, you know, those are kind of two specific I would talk about. Great. Okay. Well, and you can always see the latest updates and the bill tracking activity at OregonRLA.org. 
Uh, we've got updates on there on a regular basis and uh, we make sure that we keep it as current as possible. So uh, with that, we're going to take another quick break and then we'll come back with the Advocacy Watch and wrap things up. Technology is ever-changing and so is your business. Connect with Dell Technologies Small Business Advisors to ensure you're scaling your technology to custom fit your business. Through the partnership with Dell, Orla members have access to dedicated small business tech advisors to address your business pain points and needs and tailor a technology solution fit for you. Whether you need laptops, desktops, servers, or security, our advisors have you covered. Call 855-900-5548 to be connected today. Welcome back. It's time for Advocacy Watch. And this is where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. So, Lori, let's start with local. Uh, the transient lodging tax is always one of those things that we keep an eye on. Uh, we know that cities and counties are struggling with funds, and trying to figure out revenue sources, but we want to make sure that the TLT funds are protected and used for the, the tourism promotion and facilities. We've got a couple of communities out there that are looking at uh, TLT increases, including Klamath Falls. They've got a 3% increase on the May 18th ballot down there. And the city of John Day is also looking at a 3% TLT. That's going to be a council vote, though, coming up. And I know there's a couple of communities on the coast that are also looking at uh, maybe increasing their TLT to help with some of their, their needs. Yeah, you know, this is this is not new. I mean, we certainly see these uh, come up uh, quite often throughout the year. Um, this year is no different where community communities are just looking for, you know, those additional dollars and tapping into these, uh, you know, existing um, tourism lodging tax uh, revenues. So. And of course, it's always important to make sure that that we protect what those funds are intended for. But as our industry struggles to recover from this pandemic, it's going to be even more important that we're really laser focused on using those dollars to help promote bringing people back to the state of Oregon uh, to spend those dollars that they bring with them and help our economy recover. So uh, we'll be keeping you up to date on what's happening in those communities and others around the state as we hear about it. We talked a little earlier in the podcast about some of the bills that are coming out of the legislature as they relate to alcohol, but one thing that was not a bill that came out of the OLCC commission meeting a few weeks ago was an increase uh, in their minimum pricing or what's called floor pricing. The commission voted five to one with one abstention to increase the prices on some of the lowest priced alcohol distilled spirits in their inventory. And we have a chart uh, that we'll put up on the website that shows the size of the bottle and the alcohol by volume, how much the minimum pricing will be going up. And this is something that we testified against. We were in opposition to it simply because we just don't think that now is a good time to be increasing the prices on the retailers and the operators out there. It's very difficult, as we just talked about, for our industry to recover considering what we've been through in the last 13 months and increasing some of those spirits that people use for well drinks in particular uh, at this time just didn't seem to make a lot of sense to us. So, Greg, um, how did this come about with the OLCC and why, was it, why did it come about now? So the OLCC is looking at this from a public health standpoint. Uh, again, we mentioned earlier in the podcast some of the bills that are out there and, and the fact that 
Uh, they're looking at addiction recovery and how that's funded and uh, trying to curb the underage and binge drinking. And so part of the rationale here was that it was a way to uh, maybe help uh, mitigate the issue of the underage or, or binge drinking if the prices were uh, higher. Uh, if it's more expensive for teens to, to buy the less expensive alcohols that they previously were, uh, then maybe they won't be buying as much and it'll, it'll help from that standpoint. But um, the OCC has been a great partner for us throughout this pandemic. They were quick to streamline the outdoor permitting processes for alcohol licenses and looking at deferring your uh, licensing fees um, and maybe even forgiving them altogether in partnership with the legislature. But uh, this is one of those areas where we, we just feel like they, they missed it. And um, so it's been, it's been a tough one. Yeah. Well, there's certainly uh, important programs that do need funding, um, no doubt about it. But uh, yeah, the right, uh, right finding and right funding and timing is important as well. Yeah, as you heard Bill mention earlier, we've always supported the addiction recovery issues uh, and addiction um, problem gambling and, and alcohol addiction, anything that has to do with those. So um, we're supportive of the concept. But uh, again, yes, the timing couldn't be worse. Well, speaking of timing, um, Restaurant Revitalization Fund at the national level, over $28 billion is coming our way, uh, not just here to Oregon, obviously, but across the entire country. And the National Restaurant Association, working with the Small Business Administration and others, has created some frequently asked questions and some other information that we have available on our website. We want to help you navigate how to apply for those funds if you're eligible uh, and make sure that you understand where you need to go and who you need to talk to to get that. Yeah, just go to our homepage. Actually, we, we keep that updated as, as frequently as possible, OregonRLA.org. There's some uh, information there. In fact, the SBA just released technical guidance and a sample application, um, I believe, Thursday or Friday last week. So that's also on there. Uh, and then, uh, Greg, we're also waiting to hear from the National Restaurant Association and the SBA when we could uh, collaborate on a um, webinar that would help answer a lot of questions. So. Yeah, and I think the timing of that is really important, Lori, and I'm glad you brought it up. I know that there have been some webinars out there already that may have jumped the gun on getting the information out because things are still evolving. And so it's our hope that in partnership uh, with the National Restaurant Association and the SBA uh, that we'll be able to give you really a, a more comprehensive look during our webinar at what you're going to need and, and how it's going to work for everybody. So look for more information. Stay tuned to our website. Um, and a big hats off to our communications department, including Lori Little, the director of communications, for all the work that they've done in making sure that our members have the most up-to-date information on the website. Great. Just one last uh, mention uh, for all of our members, you should be receiving a couple of emails actually a week and you can update your preferences as needed. Uh, we don't want to be sending out too much, but also want to send out enough uh, to keep you informed and on everything that's going on because there's quite a bit uh, these days. So. A lot, of, a lot of information out there for sure. And we're trying to prioritize it and help you sift through what's important. So during this difficult time, um, we did have a listener question that's related to that. And the question was, where can I find additional COVID times training for my staff? So obviously this is an issue right now as we continue to 
navigate the state and federal standards and mandates that are coming down. There's a lot of information out there about what you have to do in terms of, you know, wearing face coverings and things like that. But just as important is how do you how do you work with customers? Um, how do you talk to somebody when they come in and, and uh, don't have a mask on? And so if you go to OregonGuestServiceSafety.com, you'll find uh, some great information that our Oregon Hospitality Foundation has put together on working through some of the scenarios that you and your employees may encounter during this time. Uh, providing service while supporting safety is incredibly important, and you can find that information again at OregonGuestServiceSafety.com. Yeah, Greg, that's a it's a great um, course actually, and it does come uh, with uh, well English and Spanish Spanish uh, t- sub- subtitles actually. Um, but yeah, they can uh, they can download that um, pretty much on demand and get started r- right away with that training. Well, please keep the emails coming to info at OregonRLA.org. Let us know not only your government affairs questions, but also your opinions, what's going on in your area, uh, and if you have questions about anything else related to the hospitality industry. I'd like to say thank you again to Bill Perry, Orla Lobbyist and owner of Balance Point Strategies, and Lori Little, Orla's Director of Communications, and to you for joining me today. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. Thanks for listening.